Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. All right, people, we got another TV-themed episode for tonight. We've got the return of one of the biggest breakout shows from 2019 that unfortunately got hit heavily by COVID, but is now back with its season two premiere of the first show that really put Apple TV Plus, our new favorite streaming service, on the map, that being the morning show. Chris, what do you got to say before we get into this? I've been waiting to talk about the show for almost a year now, so I'm pumped. Let's do it. It's long overdue. It's long overdue. All of that and more. Stay tuned. Chris, we got a podcast discussion tonight that I feel like if we had talked about this even as much as a year ago or even two years ago when it first premiered back in 2019, I feel like we would be having an entirely different discussion about this just as regardless of like the subject matter that the show is covering. But we're covering the morning show on tonight's episode. And I definitely will say that I had a very strong opinion once I started the show that has definitely changed. A little bit since I finished the first season and have now seen the second season premiere. Like, what 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 are what are your like thoughts on that before we just jump in? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I can see your points. Um, I certainly think uh, the Reese Witherspoon character got a little. uh, She she started off a little more grounded than she ends in season one. I don't know. We just got to get into it, man. I can't talk around it. We just got to get into it. Yeah. So with it, we're talking about The Morning Show. This is a show that premiered on Apple TV Plus back in, what was it like? I, I like I, I don't remember if it was in like the late summer or early May, but it, it was big. It blew up pretty big. Obviously, a lot of big stars in it. Jennifer Anderson, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, Billy Crudup, Mark Duplass, Gugu Mbatha-Raw. The list just went on and on. It was a big show. And the headline, again, it could not have been more of like a headline for watch this show for how relevant it is if it tried where it's like yes a show that finally pulls back the wool of the toxic um was the, the the toxic patronizing environment that goes on at a morning show news network and automatically off the bat i'm like oh no this is a recipe for disaster because, as we know, aside from just we know what happens when shows try to embellish themselves too much in current subject matter, we also know that that usually doesn't do well for a show's ageability as far as how it goes in the long run, you know? But what I will say is that just from the first get-go, 
I will say that the show, for at least its first couple of episodes, did a real did a really interesting job as far as being this really good balancing act between the relevant subject matter and also just being really damn good entertaining television, which is something that I really couldn't say for like a lot of shows that were coming out. You know, a lot of shows around that time period were feeling like they were trying to like toe the line, right? That was kind of like when we were on like the back half of like the Netflix wave before they started to like kind of, you know, die off and give way to the other streaming services. And like Netflix was really getting embellished into like soap opera territory at that point, which they've kind of just fully enmeshed themselves in at this point. And Along comes this show that arguably I would say put Apple TV Plus on the map. And I will say that it definitely deserves a lot of the accolades that it got. But in hindsight, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, I'm still in a little bit of a conundrum where I'm still trying to figure out if this was a thing of where it was so kind of in the moment of its time and whether it actually has any lasting staying value or whether there is actually, you know, some substance to the show. But like, I don't know, Chris, what were your thoughts? Like, what, like, cause you, you're obviously, I'd say you're a bigger Apple TV plus fan than I am. You know, you watched this show first. So like, what, what were your thoughts on it? Like going into the show versus coming out of it? Yeah, I don't think I had many thoughts going in. Um, I just was, Hey, I got this new streaming service cause I bought an Apple product and they gave me a year free. So I might as well use it. Saw Steve Carell. Usually that's something that gets me to click pretty quickly and uh, ended up really enjoying it um, as a student of media and journalism in school. Obviously, there are aspects to it that I uh, really appreciate as that's something that like I made a choice to study. So clearly it piqued my interest in that regard. And obviously, Apple has uh, become like the new HBO in regards to their bar of quality where you could once trust anything HBO would put out to at least be of a certain value. They've clearly lost that since with shows like Run and White Lotus. But I think um, with the morning show, um, that's really what I thought established them as like, okay, they just need to do better marketing and branding. And then the service will really become, I think, like the key player in the, the streaming wars. But we'll save that all for a later segment. Uh, because I think starting off now with our spoiler-free thoughts, uh, y- you know, I-, I think talking about season one, um, it-, it was it was an enjoyable ride. I think it definitely bit off a bit more than it can chew in in its third act. But seeing the setup in season two slightly justifies some of what I was concerned about going uh, going out of season one, uh, first watching it this past winter. So I, I think. It's not a perfect show. Um, I, I certainly appreciate the way it tackles the zeitgeist and chooses to play devil's advocate in an industry that only ever seems to be, um, how do you say, uh, shilling more more out critical for... by the day. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I think it comes down to the characterizations that both make this show so charming and binge-worthy with them being 55 to hour and three minute long episodes. And also that makes the show so troublesome when you get down to the uh, conclusion of the first season. Because again, I was speaking a a little bit earlier about the Reese Witherspoon character, Bradley. I think where she starts off and ends, sure it happened. And so it's hard to say that it doesn't make sense. It just felt a bit rushed. But again, we didn't have the roadmap for season two in mind as an audience. And I do think that they kind of retcons some of my frustration coming out of season one with the debut of season two. And there's one thing I've always said about this show. I think the writing is 
is very strong. And so I'll toss it over to you after I say this uh, final statement here in our general overview, reflection, if you will, of season one. I think it is done in such a way where it, it plays both sides of the very topical conversations in regards to Me Too and abuse and power dynamics between like men and women in media and in, in, in the industry that I don't think it's like a flash in the pan type thing because I think it addresses it all in a very fair, which is I think really the key word, a very fair and mature way where it, it, it even shows the sides of Jennifer Aniston's Alex Levy, who obviously had some skeletons in the closet and hey, that could be a reality too, right? Like a woman in media could have ghosts in the closet. Like, and, and it addresses all of that in a way that I think is, I think it'll only be timeless if Apple TV Plus catches on, but I think it has potential to not just be like a space force that's very, oh, we got to get this out before Trump's out of office because every six months he brings up this new military branch that no one's heard about. You know, there's a bit of a different timeliness there. And, and, and I think this is a little more of, um, it has a little more staying power. But yeah, I don't know. Riff off that. Like, what are your thoughts on my sort of uh, reflection of season one? I mean, when I first started watching it, it was a thing of where I was, you're right, I was blown away by just the production value. I mean, this was the third Apple TV Plus show that I'd seen after For All Mankind and Ted Lasso. Both are two shows that I very much have loved and have really come to admire in the sense of where it's like, okay, it's very clear that Apple, like you said, is willing to shell out the money to actually make like cinematic level quality TV shows the way that HBO was doing at one point if you ask me before kind of the max came in and infected it all I still think HBO is capable of some good stuff ultimately but you're right their bar of quality has definitely dipped a little bit since they stopped becoming like the exclusive go-to place for quality there are other places where we can do that now you know like Apple Apple clearly has shown that they can do that Amazon obviously when they actually care clearly are showing that they're willing to shell out the money between both the Wheel of Time show that's coming out later this year and the Lord of the Rings show that they've been putting all the money in the world into for next year. You know, like the, the HBO was not the only kid on the block now when it comes to shelling out money. And I started watching it. I was blown away. Again, the production value is like top tier. You know, it's like the writing was fantastic. The acting was fantastic. You know, as far as it's like it, the, the pilot did to me what so few pilots actually do well, which is like actually managing to center around like an inciting incident that keeps you invested and, and allows you to follow through for the entire episode. You know, it really, if I'm being completely honest, I really haven't seen that in a pilot since Lost and Breaking Bad. Those were like the last two pilots that I got that from. And I just, I love the dynamics of all the characters. They were so well set up. And you're right. I think that at first the show did this really interesting balancing act that is something that a lot of shows have a problem with when it comes to like being, you know, quote unquote relevant with the subject matter of the time versus still trying to be an entertaining, good TV show. And at least for the first five to six episodes, this show had that nail, you know? And the thing too is I, I just love that in addition to the gigantic stars that we had, in the show, again, like three of the biggest stars that helped define like movies and TV of their respective time. You also had like these awesome character actors on there that were finally getting their chance to shine, you know, like guys that I knew, you know, like Billy Crudup, who again, unless you knew you were you recognized Dr. Manhattan in his human form in the Watchmen movie, you don't know who Billy Crudup is, you know. Mark Duplass, it's like, okay, so you may have heard of the Duplass brothers, you may remember his face from the league, but like most people don't know who Mark Duplass is, which is a shame because he fucking crushed it on the show, you know. All these different people that are in there, you know, again, a couple of lost alumni, your boy, um, what's his name? Richard from Lost as, as the weatherman. Um, fucking yeah, it, it had this really interesting brand mix of 
okay, we are actually going to be the show that tackles these relevant issues while still managing to maintain and be an entertaining TV show. And for the majority of the first season, I will say that what probably made the second half not bad, but definitely made it for me not as engaging as the first half is it started to struggle with that in its resolution where it's like, okay, how exactly are we going to pay off everything that we've set up in a way that feels satisfying from a TV kind of status quo while at the same time still kind of managing to deliver on the premise that we set up. And while I don't think they completely fumbled the ball, I will say that there were certain things that happened where I'm like, okay, I feel like this could have been handled better, you know? And I I think that the comment that you made about season two, the premiere, feeling like a retcon of a lot of the stuff that we got in the second half of season one is probably like super accurate. Because as I was watching the pilot, the premiere of season two yesterday, I was like, this is good, but it almost feels like I've seen this before, if that makes sense. Because I've seen a lot of other TV shows do this, where the new season comes out, and it feels like all the interesting stuff that they set up at the end of the previous season is almost like retconned out, and then later on, they come back and explain it. And I've seen it work well, and I've seen it not work so well other times. But as far as just kind of how that feeds into my thoughts on season one, it's obviously, again, we had a whole pandemic to sit through. Obviously, we know that they started production on season two before um, the pandemic started. And I think that well, I'm, I'm just I'm almost wondering if we're going to see that play out throughout the rest of the season. But it was definitely an instance of where, OK, it almost feels like there was some like some some drastic changes that went on as far as what they wanted the trajectory of this show to be going on. And again, it's not enough for me to make a statement on it yet because we only have one season to go off of. And we know that this these sorts of behind-the-scenes changes happen in TV all the time, you know? And sometimes it's to the benefit and sometimes it's to the detriment, but it's just a matter of working in a TV environment. If anything, it's almost meta just considering the fact that we're watching a TV show about a morning news TV show. But As far as my thoughts on season one, there's definitely a reason why it was kind of the breakout show on Apple TV plus, you know, but I definitely did find it very interesting where the show was nominated for pretty much almost every Emmy award last or last year for last year's Emmys, except for show. It was not nominated for best drama over the eight other shows that were nominated. And I think that's something really interesting to consider as far as that goes, you know, especially considering that like Ted Lasso is now making waves this year for Apple TV plus. Now that seems to be much more of like the breakout hit for Apple than the morning show was trying to be, you know? So let me just reference one of the brightest creative minds of our time. Ricky Gervais tweeted literally this morning. He said, Hey, remember me? Remember when I completely exposed award shows and their meaningless contribution to the art we love and consume? I don't care. I understand the point you're trying to make. I don't care anymore. If if we are going to continue to do this show, I'm going to I have to be more honest than I have been. I just don't care because those people gave our governor Cuomo an Emmy and look what he turned out to be. Yeah, right. I don't care. Honestly, I don't. So it's like I, I think we are smarter than them. And so if if that is rooted in your opinion, that's awesome. And I, I see the point you're trying to make, but I see no value in the fact that it won all the Emmys but best show. Because right. I, it's it's clearly well, well written. Not, if not, you're a student of film and television, you can see it's well written. You can see they've crossed the T's and dot the I's. Now, I don't necessarily like some of the choices that they made, like I said, especially with the trajectory of Bradley's character towards the end of season one. And, and I think how Alex Levy became weaker than I had known her towards the end of season one. But we'll get into that because well, I think... Well, yeah, I was going to say, so, so, talk, that, so talk about that. To, you You... You've talked about Bradley like a decent amount as far as like kind of yeah, where they waver well, off. So like talk about that. I just think 
she has this journalistic integrity and then she sells out and it's just did not feel really rooted in anything. I mean, I know sometimes people succumb to the money and sure she was a bit naive. She didn't understand the way the industry works. And so she genuinely thought like, all right, well, I'll do this now for a little bit and eventually they'll let me portray my journalistic stories. And yeah, she takes the risk and she brings light the story of uh, the character um, who eventually uh, Hannah uh, ends up, uh, you know, committing suicide because uh, her story came to light. Obviously, Steve Carell being um, the abuser in that situation. But I just think she, it almost felt like she, the way that she did it to me didn't feel the way that the journalist, the wo- the woman we first met screaming outside of that small town event, trying to make any bit of a change she can. It just didn't feel organic it to me. It felt a bit uh, Sorkin-esque. And you know, I don't really like that. I'm actually and really so, glad that you brought um, that up because you are not the first person to have compared this to Sorkin's show. <laughs> I ran up that he did for really? HBO, the news. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You are not it, the first person to bring that up. Dude, I was getting major newsroom <laughs> vibes by the end of this first season. It was crazy. It yeah, was crazy. And it, I'm like, what? And I love the newsroom too because I love anything Sorkin because I'm able to like dissociate myself from like, okay, it's sure. just entertaining. And like the whole thing I just that I don't know like is, the way Sorkin portrays reality because it's not reality. Not reality. And, and, uh, and, but, but like, he's obviously brilliant. I, I feel right. like our listeners think I must hate the man. I, I recognize his genius and there's no hate towards him. I just don't, the tonal shift was too Sorkin, yeah. whereas we started off so rooted in reality. So even though Bradley does refine her journalistic integrity, the way she did it felt like that scene that I hate so much from Trial of the Chicago Seven, where it's like the most fake artificial created courtroom scene after we've seen the struggles and and you know triumphs of these characters for two hours then to just have this like fake moment you know what i'm saying that so that's my frustration i know know exactly what you mean i know exactly what you mean i felt like there wasn't any sorkin in the debut of season two and that i think is where i can take comfort in the fact that we are getting back to it Interesting. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more with season two, but if I can just wrap up the, the last oh, yeah. thing I wanted to say, because the reason I got into the Emmys before I was being a bit hyperbolic, I will admit, but I still agree with my sentiments. Oh yeah. Apple's flagship show before Ted Lasso came along and just completely swept the zeitgeist uh, was the morning show. So we'll see if it can retain that. You That's were talking true. a bit about Apple and, and the HBO comparisons. And I do agree. I think it's HBO Max that has sort of uh, muddied the oh, waters yeah. and good name of the HBO, uh, uh, the HBO brand, because clearly we know Succession is going to be phenomenal next yes. month and Barry's yes. coming back. But, but I, I will say, um, yeah, I think it was this show that really put Apple TV Plus on the map. And we'll see. I, my, the biggest thing I want to get out of this little experiment of Apple TV plus is can a show that got crushed by COVID production regain its throne? Like that's kind of what I'm wondering about. Right. So we'll see. But yeah, Yeah. um, I think you were segueing into another topic. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to say. Well, well, uh, before we do, I just wanted to wrap up my thoughts on season one, which is the fact that you're 100% on the money with with both Bradley and Alex's arc, where you're totally right. They basically become like completely different characters by the end, but it, by the end of the season, as opposed to how they started, but in a way that doesn't feel naturalistic at all, where it's like, okay, Aniston knows to some extent, obviously, all of Carell's transgressions, but then by the end, it's just like fully rejected him for the sake of like her show. 
And in order to regain some sense of prominence after she curses at her daughter because she's miserable because she's going through a divorce from her husband and how that becomes her defining arc for the majority of the season. And then Bradley, yeah. I wouldn't exactly calling it selling out, but you're right. There is something unnaturalistic that happens there where, and I don't know if it's the Crudup intervention as far as everything that Billy Crudup's going to do. Like, I have a thing that I'm going to cover with Billy Crudup, and I'm going to save that for, for, for performances because I secretly think that he's the MVP of this freaking show. But it, it, there's, something that, there's something that feels off about I'll say this. Yeah. As effective as Crudup is, I personally don't believe his impact on Bradley is the reason she went down the path yeah, she went down. I agree. I agree. It, but he it, is it, effective. Right. It comes out of nowhere where it's a sense of like, okay, all of a sudden now she's putting kind of the putting kind of like the sense of like, you know, putting the truth out there over the impact of human life, you know, and I guess in the sense that sort of goes off of what she what her whole thing was in the beginning, where now she's willing to step over the fact that clearly this is a sensitive issue for Hannah in order to kind of expose the network, quote unquote, and like kind of stick it to the man, I guess. But like, I but you're right, the buildup, it's missing something in between in order to like make that feel really fulfilled and i'm interested to hear your thoughts as far as how we bring that into season two because obviously again season one ends on a very very tragic note and also i will say too the whole duplass punching steve carell and fighting him over fucking like like that that was that was like sl- sick commie that was that was just straight up sick commie where i'm like okay so now, now he admits it, it's like oh i was like i leaked the story to the times to get rid of carell so that i could protect you alice they were going to get rid of aniston because the ratings were i'm like what what is this? I'm like, well, when did that? I'm like, that was truly when when the, when it went full Sorkin for me. You're right. And like I said, I love Sorkin as a writer. I will watch anything that he does and it because it is always entertaining, regardless of its kind of hold on reality. And I guess my whole thing with Sorkin is that I'm still able to dissociate myself and understand that, like, okay, what I'm watching is, even though most of the time it is trying to be based on real people, is pure fiction, you know? Yeah. And I'm I'm still able to enjoy it that way. You know, like I'm still able to enjoy the newsroom as a work of fiction, you know? But so but the last thing I'll say, uh, just because you raised a good point, and I think to further get into the the the, uh, the premiere of season two, I just want to lay this groundwork for where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think Steve Carell is the most effective plot device I've seen in years because he's what a plot device I think is supposed to be. He's the inciting incident, but but it's it's a character that you honestly right. you're not charmed by him because he's so. Well, you guys know what he does. He's a, a Me Too offender. Yeah, he's a predator. So you're, but 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 he his dramatic chops are so strong, and you don't get to see them often. And I think the writing fits him so well. And so he is this plot device that, you know, you don't want to look at him, but when he's on screen, you can't turn away because right. you want to know what he's going to do next to justify his own sick and twisted actions. And that that moment with Martin Short and Steve Carell might be Whoa. my favorite moment from that season was one. Crazy. Because that was crazy, that scene. And and so studying writing in college, as we both have, it's like, this is how you do it. This, yes. is, this is how your inciting incident can travel through the show and further push the narrative forward without just being exposition dump or without being blatant action that happens so we can get from point A to point B. It's it's amazing. And uh, so I just wanted to say that. But yeah, Dom, take us into it. Let's, well, real uh, quick before we dig, because I wanted to ask you one more thing. And I'm sorry, but it would be remiss of me if I didn't bring this up. Please, so, please. and I know, that, I, I know that you're going to hate me after this, but bear with me for a second here, which is, do you think that the whole Steve Carell thing is intentional, like kind of micro subtle commentary on his characterization on the office because that was the thing that i heard a lot 
while season one was on the air is because, dude, again, every idiot on the internet was like, oh man, it's almost like if Michael Scott was held accountable for his actions. And then like, again, I, I didn't pay any attention to a lick of salt on it, but you obviously know my thoughts on The Office, but I needed to hear it from you as a diehard fan of The Office. It's like, okay, do you think that there is any foundation in those criticisms or do you think it's complete and total bullshit and people don't know what they're talking about as far as that goes? I think it's the same thing as any internet story that gets buzzed around. I think that is a poor decision if the writing staff made it, one that paid off big dividends. But just to, that's not, I feel like that's not the kind of statement that a professional would make. Right. I don't that, think, again, that's why I had, right. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, if there are similarities there, that's cool. But as far as I know, we've never established a cinematic universe. And the last time I checked, actors take on roles multiple roles if they're lucky enough to act again and Steve Carell's done that and so I never thought he carried any of the qualities from Foxcatcher into this that's like saying the same thing you know uh and so I, I just uh or sorry whatever his boxing movie was I forget the name um do you mean well no that was Foxcatcher but yeah, like, yeah. well no I'm talking like as far as like it being like you know like a, a TV based character like in a position of prominence like similar to like in the office that's what I mean no what I'm trying to say is actors need to separate themselves Okay. From each part and, and play that character differently than the last, unless the director told them, bring some Michael Scott into this, then that's a different scenario. But there hasn't been anything that's come out about it. And I think as a writer, that's a very immature and risky position to take. So I feel like that's the internet doing what the internet does. Um, what would be a good example of that recently? Basically, the whole uh, Fast Fast 9 where everyone was saying, oh, you know, Vin Diesel actually extended his hand to The Rock and tried to make amends. That didn't happen. Right. There were articles popping up about that. Right. I just think it's great that this show is getting that kind of buzz because it means more people will watch it. Yeah, definitely. All right. So bringing it into season two, which is where, so we start off season two. And again, it does that thing that I hate. I'm sorry. I'm so sick of it. when but shows Before do we bring I it into season this. two. Yes. We yes, would like to ask that. you to subscribe to our channel. We're working very hard. We have a huge slate lined up for you in October, and we would love for you to join us in that spooky Halloween style fun. So please subscribe, hit the like button on this video, turn on that bell so you get notified every time we go live and every time Dom and Pat go live. Talking Thrones season three is about to begin very yes, soon. It yes, it is. Red wedding season. Hell yeah. That's why I had to say it. And uh, yeah. So Dom, you were saying? Yeah. So bringing it into season two. Season two does this thing that I hate. When TV shows do this, I don't know, because it feels like when I, when I was watching the CW shows nonstop back in college and a lot of shows that I was watching at that time, I, I hate when shows do this where there's a time jump or something and it feels like they've retconned everything that the last season did at the end out of existence. I hate when shows do that. And we sort of get that here in the premiere of season two. But in a weird way, it almost feels like a justification where all of a sudden, so it opens in the immediate aftermath of Bradley and Alice going live and admitting and implicating Fred, the head of the network and everything. And then it shows Corey going before the board of directors and talking to them and then firing him. Next thing you know, cuts to a couple months later, Alice is gone from the show. Corey is now running the network and Bradley is trying to get onto the evening news. And there's a whole bunch of new faces. Everyone has moved on. And of course, there's like there's a couple faces that are missing. I will admit one of my favorite characters from the first season, Claire, portrayed by Belle Pally, is no longer with the show. I don't know if that's a thing of where she ended up leaving the show for good or if she'll be back in a later season. But it was definitely a little bit depressing because I will say, like, as far as like, even though it was kind of only there to have like a romantic subplot just to have do like, give these characters something to do. I kind of dug the whole thing between her and Yanko. You know, I kind of like that. So it was definitely a little bit, you know, it's kind of a little bit sad not seeing them there, you know. But so 
I want to. Hey, it. don't they have the easiest out? Yeah, that's true. Character off the show. It's yeah, the media, yeah, it's the media business. Like, how often true. do people go from network to network? They they really lucked out on that one. But it's I do true. agree. Um, they, she they was did luck out there. She was a great presence because the, the the biggest charm of this show in season one was how developed the supporting cast was, and it's a testament. That's a testament to the writing. But other shows have been given, you know, 10 episode uh, seasons of, of 52 an hour long and have not developed characters as far true. as they have on this show. True, so to lose true. her is very unfortunate. I do. That agree. is true. That is true. So so you mentioned something really interesting here, which is where the where season two, the premiere almost kind of retcons a, a little bit of stuff out from the end of season one. But in a way that you actually kind of thought improved on it. So I, so I want you to talk about that first and foremost before I got into my thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think this has uh, quite literally become the Bradley Cooper show. And uh, so uh, it was a joke, bad joke. I like Bradley's character, and I think her uh, presence is as strong as, uh, in my opinion, he normally is when you see him on screen. But uh, anyways, um, she's, she's crushing it. She's taking over. She's she's It's like Emperor's New Groove, really, is where we're at. But then we get deceived quite brilliantly because for as far as she's come... She's still that naive journalist who is in a whirlwind and still adjusting to the complete 180 her world has taken. And so I think what they did in, in the sense to the retcon was we obviously did not wipe away everything that happened in season one. But with the fact that she's so blindly trusting in Corey just because, hey, she, you know, she believes that he owes her because she saved his job, which she did. She but, did. but because... She's so naive to the fact that you have no friends in entertainment. I mean, we know that. And we're on the outside looking in. And and she is quite literally uh, uh, the, the lead anchor of the premiere morning show in this universe. She thinks she has a friend. A suit, nonetheless. So it just shows like... Oh, Bradley. Okay, maybe the way she handled getting the truth out while it was noble and messy... Maybe like I was wrong about the characterization that I had gotten at the end. And while it was still very Sorkin-esque, she's still learning. And I think that's the biggest retcon that I got from it. The biggest, um, what is it called? The I'm, I'm back on board because of how naive she really is. I mean, that, that moment where she talks to her co-anchor on, on New Year's Eve, they're passing around the flask and the ball's about to drop. And he's like, I got to be honest with you. Like, you're a really nice person. And I got to be honest with you. I, I took the job you want. And she's like, so everyone knew? The fact that that's a surprise to her is it just shows how naive she is still and how much she has to learn and hopefully does because it's going to be a rough ride for her if she doesn't. Yeah, right. And so it's like, the, it's like that type of thing. The characterization from this person who I thought understood got it you know and even with her i don't know what they're called her um personal assistant right in the beginning where she's like you told me if i did the dancing and if i played ball then i would get to do more harder stories the fact that she doesn't understand how to play the game it's after all she just went through and now we're three months later right that's the time jump right. here it justifies it a bit because it shows just tr how truly green she is and when you're in that moment, they did such a good job of getting the viewer in the chaos of that moment, bringing this story to light, holding Carell's character accountable for his actions, that her strength in that moment 
which I felt kind of came out of nowhere. I thought it was permanent and it's not. And so I really appreciate it for that because we're on her journey here. I think she's now become the clear and cut main character. I feel like everyone else, at least in my mind, is supporting not like they're miles apart. Obviously, their roles are all very interconnected, but that's just kind of how I see it. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? No, it's definitely interesting. I will say that as far as kind of this being, first of all, Bradley's show now. And you're right. She, it definitely, I think now that kind of we've moved past like the hot button, like Me Too issue specifically, I think now we can really get into kind of the meat and potatoes as far as like this being like, as far as getting to the center of like what this show's identity and drama really wants to be. Because let's face it, like the subject matter that it was facing in season one, there was only going to be so far that it could take that right and as far as if it were going to be specific we've talked about this before as far as shows needing to sometimes like change up their trajectory a little bit in order to continue to do this you know i've famously talked about the fact that the wire is the one of the best shows of all time because it did this every single season it changed up its trajectory and that kept it fresh and interesting and it allowed the characters to go on these new and different journeys and that's exactly what we're seeing here and i think that it's kind of interesting how Corey, who seemed to be, again, playing his own little game in the first season, but that was almost kind of independent of Alex and Bradley's, where he was all in Bradley's corner and kind of only in Alex's corner when it suited him in order to, like, kind of, you know, pass over and get to the top of the food chain. And now that he's there, he's almost now, like, playing the opposite game, where he's like, okay, now Bradley's kind of served her purpose and everything, and she's kind of, like, really not learning and improving, so now I can get back Alex in a way that like benefits and Alex is clearly not ready to come back in any way, but she is because she's, she hit out. She definitely needed a break from the whole, after the whole thing, just from the whole limelight and everything, but she's clearly bored living in a log cabin up in Maine. First of all, who does that? I get that you need to get away from like society, but like you need to go all the way to fucking Maine, you know, head around our area, Hudson Valley, New York, you know, it's a nice (laughs) area. It's distance away from like the city, you know, could have done a little bit more shooting there, but all the way up to fucking Maine, like what? That decision is just confusing in and of itself. But now you're starting to see, that that was actually a really good point that you brought up because you're a hundred percent right. Because now, it doesn't like justify Bradley's actions at the end of season one, but it definitely causes them to make a lot more sense as far as like, okay, she is still green around the gills a little bit. And what I will say is that the show is definitely getting into more of like, okay, we are a show, an entertaining TV show with great acting first and foremost, which I'm a, which I really, really like because I feel like if it had tried to stay the trajectory of continuing to be like the relevant piecemeal show of the day, I think that would have done it's such a detriment in the long run overall. But I will say that this definitely did a good job of setting me up, but I guess kind of the, the apropos of that, the, if I'm playing devil's advocate here is the fact that I was definitely not as invested kind of in following through on the rest of the season, the way that that first episode did, I'm still going to watch obviously, but just as far as I kind of striking while the iron is hot and just having that, insanely like okay wow engaging thing that i want to watch in that first episode of season one versus season two it didn't really have that for me this time around if if if, if that makes any sense you know it was i think certainly a slow start um because i was a little confused at first i'll be honest i hadn't watched this show in about six months now and we've watched so much content in between them so much and so to do that time jump i didn't have time to go back and re-binge like i normally do for the shows that i really love um just to be refreshed and so it took me a little while to get back into it and be like oh yeah that happened hannah i forgot I forgot all about that and so once i like realized it and it clicked then i thought to myself huh not a fan of the pacing not a fan of the time jump and and how we're picking this back I told up. You, do I, not I, do a time jump in between seasons. It doesn't work. 
unless you're for all mankind, but that's a right. conversation for another day. Right. But uh, <laughs> what I will say is, uh, yeah, I mean, so I, while I didn't enjoy the way they chose to go about roping us back in, I think the characterizations have never been A, more stronger and B, more interesting because I really learned who Corey was, I feel, in this episode. I, I don't think he's this devious, uh, you know, malignant figure. I think he's... He cares about people, but also he is very passionate about the business side of things. And he has a hard time being a human being sometimes, you know, he, while I do think he genuinely sees Bradley as a friend and genuinely does respect Alex's talent, his prowess and gift of being such a strong businessman just can't allow the human side of him to shine through. And I think as a, someone who is a person of passion, right? Like a musician who has had to make like difficult decisions for, you know, the sake of the art. I get it. You know, it, it sucks because you look like this cold, cynical, evil figure. And there's definitely a part of you in there. That is that. But the majority isn't that it's just, it's a confliction that I, I, I can, I can see he's playing it and selling it and the writing and the direction he's given is, is feeding into so much of what makes him, I think, like you said, the most interesting character. He's the ultimate compliment to anyone who shares a scene with him because he's the least human while simultaneously being the most conflicted inside, in yes. my opinion. Yes. And so that's really what brings me in are many examples I can name of that type of thing. The characters are why I watch this show but I really hope that the uh, the filmmaking gets back to where it was because I did feel a step back in regards to the way it was edited and paced and, and yeah. just plotted out. It was confusing. And then the third act of the first episode, I was like, okay, what? you got yeah. me back, but I was a little confused. Yeah, also <laughs> fully well, on board. Two things that I wanted to point out also about the premiere is that, so one, obviously the fact that the premiere ends in New Year's Eve 2019, and I'm like, wait, are they going to like kind of pivot into like, okay, now what's going to happen when the pandemic hits? Because we know that this show had to halt production at the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic hit, and I'm like, oh man, is this going to be like the new way that they're going to be relevant if they bring the pandemic into the show? Like that, which would be crazy to say the if least. there was a show, I think a show that's focused on the media space could be the one to do it in a way that isn't trite but I, I just think i feel like it was it was well it was clearly written months right. in advance right. who goes in and then rechanges a script just to soak up the desperate times uh, call for desperate measures is all that I'm i don't say. know if that if that happens then to me it seems like this show may have been a one season one trick pony yeah because i don't think you just scrap your writing for an entire season Right, just to suck up the latest pop culture trend. I don't I'm mean not trend. I'm event. gonna play devil's advocate. I think it could work. I think it could work because I think one of the biggest th sources of interest during the pandemic was kind of the media's approach to it and kind of them kind of pushing again the whole propaganda-esque over the top, constantly in the fear state nature. And I think I I'm gonna play complete devil's advocate opposite here. I think that if there was a show that could pull it off. And as far as like seeing the character's reaction to it, it could be this one. I could be totally wrong. They could totally avoid it. We could be in a total alternate like what if scenario where the pandemic doesn't happen. But who knows? Again, it's only it's only January of 2020 in the universe of that show. So 
Yeah, but I just said I don't think they would do it. I didn't say I didn't think it could work. I personally don't want to see it happen. Right. We live it enough, but I think I also hear your points there. I do. Yeah. The other thing, too, also that I'll say real quick is, did you catch the subtle reference to the league in this episode? No, what was it? So when the, the, the woman that Mark Duplass, Chip, is dating and then later gets engaged to... Is his is Steve Renazzisi's wife, Katie Asselton, in the league? What's her name? Jenny from the league. I thought she looked familiar. Yep. I would love to see I, her play. A, I think she's a great actress. I would love to see her play a bigger role in this season. Also, I mean, they got engaged seemingly off screen the way right. that they did Right. nowhere. It was almost kind of like like Chip came back. It's like, oh, yeah, Chip is still here. And then that happens. It's like, oh, no, don't have this be a thing where they're just keeping him around just to keep him around. Like, I would hate to see that because Chip was one of my favorite characters in the first season. The, again, it threw me off because she was she did the brunette do, not the redhead do that she had for all seven seasons of the league. But I, I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I see. What I saw Katie Asselton in there. I'm like, wait, what? And then I saw her. I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. First, she was like with Steve Renazzisi in the league, and now she's with Mark Duplass in this, but also famously plays um David's sister in uh, Legion also. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. interesting. Yeah, def- def- definitely very interesting how, again, the TV actors skipping around for shows is still continuing to happen. And so I guess this but is yeah, a perfect... My, yeah. I was going to say my concluding thoughts on season two, episode one, the premiere. I think it offers a lot of promise. I am willing to overlook... The I'd say very messy uh, structure and start because the third act roped me right back in and I love the way that it killed any of my concern coming out of season one. I feel like we're grounded again. I feel like we're on a great path and I'm really excited at this point in time to see where these characters go because I feel we're back on that solid stable ground that really had me binge this show in a week when I probably shouldn't have because there was other things I needed to get done. So yeah, that's that's how that's my concluding thoughts on the debut of season two. What about you? Hey man, look, never never apologize for binging a show in a week because that's literally all that I was doing during the pandemic. And uh, this premiere definitely, I will say, it does not necessarily have a lot of the things that I loved about the first half of season one, but I'm still willing to give it a chance, and I definitely want to see where they go going forward, especially if they go in the areas that I'm kind of hoping that they go in. If that makes any sense, you know, I know you and I have a little bit of conflicting thoughts as far as, far as that goes, but I will definitely be interested to see if that show goes in this direction. Now, as far as before we wrap up, I just want to talk about the performances because. Oh, man, I, I think it's a one of the biggest selling points of the show is the fact that we've got some great performances in this show from some legendary actors from both mo- primarily between, you know, Legends of TV, obviously with Aniston and Carell, obviously, you know, being the being the head runners of like two of the biggest and most influential TV sitcoms of all time. And then interspersed with a bunch of character actors who we've seen in a million things, but probably don't know their names. Obviously, Gugu Mbatha Raw. Uh, as Hannah, made famous for the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror, Belle Powley, who was in The King of Staten Island shortly after that first season, Nestor Carbonell, obviously from Lost, Janina Gavankar, who's been in a bunch of different things, uh, Marsha Gay Harden uh, guest starring, uh, the list goes on and on and on, Martin Short in an iconic two-episode run is like one of the most despicable characters I think I've ever seen, who was just incredible, very, very well-deserved Emmy nomination, and I think the thing, too, that immediately sets this apart is the fact that, like, Apple is not trying to go for, like, film performance. First of all, like, I just, I've never really bought into the idea of there really being a difference between, quote-unquote, TV performances versus film performances. I think that that really only applies in certain sitcoms and, like, not, and I'm using that term very loosely because I don't think it applies across the board to all of them. I've never really understood because we've kind of been living in this era of peak TV for so long now that kind of the lines between quote unquote television and film acting has become even more blurred. If you ask me, acting is just acting in general, but 
on this scale. I think this scale. when you I think if you compare a CW well, to any, name name your director, the the spare the disparity is where it used to be. Shows like this help bridge the gap. Yes, absolutely. And I think the thing that immediately helps these performers stand apart is the fact that they still do a really good job of making them feel like human beings, even in kind of their most ludicrous of moments. Like Aniston, the thing that I'll say about her is that I've always thought that Aniston was low-key a better dramatic actor than a comedic actor. There's a reason to me why I always thought that she was the best actress that came out of Friends. And I think the thing that she handles really well here is kind of the balancing act between her life falling apart, but also like wanting to have that kind of like celebrity-esque edge, you know? And like, I, I think she does a really good job as far as bridging the gap between those because it's kind of like, it makes sense. It's kind of a lot of what we talked about on The Boys, kind of the whole celebrity-esque nature of constantly having to be that, you know, this image that everyone has of their idea of you in their mind versus like an actual human being. And Anison bridges the gap there really well. And as far as Witherspoon goes, and as far as playing to the naivete of it all, it's something that she always does like exceedingly, exceedingly well. You know, I think there's a reason like she brings with her a certain type of a persona into all of her performances, right? And that's kind of like why she's able to make kind of that, you know, sort of Bradley's naive work and as far as Corell goes and everything that he brings to his part I think that what his whole thing that he has going for him is the fact that he does a really good job of bridging the gap as to whether or not he's actually a reprehensible human being or truly is just somebody who you know is you know pretty serial when it comes to women and has a lot of affairs and they just you know ended up catching up with him and by the end it it, it pretty much solidifies no he is at the end of the day, he he made some he made some absolutely abhorrent decisions that reflect on him personally as a human being. And I guess the fact that he's still in denial of it just shows it's like, oh no, this is this, this is a problematic human being to say the least, you know. But I mean, MVP, like you said before, it's it's Crudup as Corey, who like he's the only one that came away from the show with a win. Obviously, he won supporting actor last year for a drama, and rightfully so, because oh man, he is chewing scenery. In every single scene that he's in, like, it's a piece of meat. And it is so beyond satisfying. I was talking to everyone that I could. I'm like, what? what is Crudup doing in the show? Because, like, I can't put my finger on it as far as that goes. But it's so intriguing. And whenever he's on screen, I can't take my eyes off of him. Where you get the sense that he's, like, this kind of corporate ladder climbing shark. But also, he's somebody who legitimately, genuinely cares about bringing something new to the news and everything. And I think also the thing that probably really, really put him on a pedestal above kind of everything that he brought to season one in this season two premiere is the fact that for once you see him in a place of vulnerability where now he got everything that he wanted, but now he understands the pressure that comes with it. And you're actually seeing some real conflict in him in a way that you really didn't see in season one because he was always kind of like that mysterious figure behind the scenes that didn't really clue you into his motivations, you know? But now you've kind of got that, but now you're seeing the stress kind of erupt on his face and it's continuing to prove why I think he's the standout and the best character on the show. But I don't know, what, what do you have to add to all that? I mean, there's really not much more I can add. I think you really perfectly sum it up. And also, I think a lot of my um, critique has been rooted in the performances. I think that's really where the show lives and dies. Um, I will say Aniston is completely transformed to me as as far as what I've seen out of her as a performer with, with, this, with this show. I think um, she certainly is an actress for a long time who you could have said 
was taking easy easy roles to uh, further justify you know multiple houses in Maine and things like that you know but uh, this really shows like mm, no she can hang she can hang and she has these dramatic chops that that are phenomenal uh, unlike I've really seen from her and I think that's like the biggest standout performance because we know what Reese Witherspoon is capable of we know Steve Carell can carry and dominate in a dramatic role so there's really not concerns there like there would have been uh, on the marquee going into this for a first time with Aniston and I think she really blows it out of the water and of course um, you know the uh, amazing performances by Duplass and Crudup are are, are incredible um as, as as far as everyone else goes too, I mean Martin Short, what an iconic two episode streak, and it's just good writing complements good performers, and great direction makes it iconic. And I feel that's really what we got out of the first season. We'll see if the show's legacy allows that statement to get legs as time goes on. But as of now, I think this is it's here to stay. And I, yeah, I, I really think if you haven't watched this show yet, I hope we've gotten you to go and watch it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a show worth watching. Again, we're we're gonna continue to champion champion the Apple TV shows because for the most part, like they haven't missed. At least from what I've seen, they have not missed yet. You know, like I mean, I don't know. Like you're watching C right now. Like what what do you, what do you think? Is that would you say that that's another one worth watching? I watched the pilot. Um, I haven't had time to dive into anything else yet, but I I, I will say uh, I want to keep going okay. uh, really badly. Yeah, and we haven't like, even gotten to the Batista season. He comes on in season two. I just think it's a very interesting concept. It's it's the production value. It's the way that Apple's style shines through. It, it really takes this concept, which isn't... It's not like groundbreakingly original. It's really just your typical post-apocalyptic scenario with one twist where whoever can get sight back will inevitably rule the world. And it's really interesting and cool. It's It's one of those sort of like vikings uh game of thrones style dramas and i'm really i really enjoyed the pilot it it hooked me obviously you guys know ted lasso is one of my favorite shows on the air right now um the internet rather um and even the shows that i thought didn't knock it out of the park quite as well as i would have hoped like one mythic quest i still finished the first season like it still wasn't like i can't finish this it was still on par with the best of other streaming services. It's just, <laughs> there's a lot of Titans in uh, the Apple TV plus kingdom and not yeah. all of them are going to stand as tall as others. It's just the sense of what we've been talking about since we started really kind of our Apple journey at the beginning. Well, really last year with Ted Lasso, but I feel like more so this year with for all mankind season two, which is where they they have all the money in the world. And again, they, because they don't have kind of the emphasis and, and kind of investment in their in their TV streaming service, the way that some of these other you know titans do, they kind of just have it just to have it to be in that area. It's a fact that they can let the creators create and experiment and do what they want, and it's a fact that even when they have a miss like Cherry, it's still you can tell from a point from a place of creative stock and not something that feels mandated because okay, it's the people like superheroes, so we're gonna have something like this, or hey, we can buy Lord of the Rings just because we can, so we're gonna throw this out there, you know? Or okay, hey, we gotta make some sort of smart, you know, snarky political commentary, so obviously we gotta throw up a space force show, you know? It's like. That's the kind of stuff that I really want from every streaming service, you know, and I feel like a few of them are getting like Apple is doing it. Hulu and FX is doing it. 
Um, HBO Max, even though it got off to a very rough start, I think they're getting back to it. Like they've got a couple of shows, obviously, coming back for the rest of this year and into next year that I'm looking forward to. You know, like the the streaming war, you know, we've only finished year two of the streaming wars. Year one, you know, year year one obviously got off to a rocky start because of the whole pandemic and everything. But I think that the streaming wars have only just begun as far as kind of the impact that Apple is going to have. And it's going to be very interesting going forward because we also know that Apple is also now looking to get into the science fiction territory when they premiere Foundation next week, which it looks to be just like they are going directly after the expanse and they are going for like, but they are going for like the, again, because it's Apple, they have the money to spend the biggest possible sci-fi budget that they can for it because that show just looks literally tremendous. And I'm going to be really interested to see the premiere of that next week. So uh, you got anything else to say about Apple before we give uh, final star ratings? No, no. I also plan on checking out Foundation as well, so we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, yeah, Tom, what, what what would be your star rating for the premiere yeah, of season so two? Yeah, so premiere of season two, I give it four stars. I think that it's, again, it, it's not, it was a little bit of a slow start. It doesn't have kind of like the wow factor that season one had, but it was definitely for me still worth investing and still carried through everything that I loved about watching these characters and watching this setting from the first season. And I'm definitely going to be interested to see where it goes going forward. You know, what about you? Yeah, I think I have to go just a little lower, three and a half, really because I hold the first season up to such a high standard that I want to hopefully see it uh, retain the status that it it had in my mind going into this. So with that being said, guys, this was absolutely awesome. Hopefully you guys watch this show. Really, that's... What I hope to get the most out of this is more people talking about Apple TV Plus because it's still a bit criminally underrated, which is unfortunate. And you know what else is criminally underrated, Dom? What's that? The fact that we have a Facebook and Instagram. I mean, you work so hard on those platforms and I really would love for people to go follow us there at the Talking TV Podcast. Keep up to date with all of our posts. That's how you do it. You follow us. We have an incredible schedule and we want you to join our community, join the conversation. So again, please go follow us on both those platforms. And Dom, is there anything else they should know about our show before we turn it over to uh, ourselves and feed our egos? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> wow, just wait a the cat's out of the bag <laughs> oh man oh uh, yeah pat and i put up our season two finale for talking thrones last night entitled valor Morghulis. we will be back next week for season three again red wedding time succession season three is back in a couple of weeks it's my most anticipated thing forget movies and tv just thing for the rest of this year that's in two in a couple of weeks on october 17th we've got three oh sorry four installments left of our Halloween first time watch series before we get to Halloween kills Halloween H2O is premiering this week. Oh boy. That one, that one's going to be an interesting one to say the least. And of course, keep tuning in for just more great content. Again, we've got a couple more bits of ancillary content to give you guys for the rest of the year. We're always putting out content, even though we've been very busy lately, just as far as real life, really getting back to it. We're always busy. We're always putting out new content for you guys and you guys continue to show your support. By clicking the subscribe button, clicking the bell next to it, clicking the like button, leaving a comment down below. It helps us out tremendously, helps us rank further in YouTube's algorithm, helps us continue to get to the heights that we would wish to be. Chris, where can the good people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, they can find me at Christian Ivanko, Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. I make music, which you can find through the link in my bio and listen to on Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube, Amazon, and a whole other slew of platforms, as well as I have another podcast called Talking with Andrew and Chris, a show about life, music, and everything in between. Also available through the link in my bio, Talking spelled the same way we spell it here. So that's me, Dom. Where can they feed your ego? 
at Movie Nerd Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. Also at Talking TV Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, where I post every single day, twice a day, offering up you guys exclusive goodies and looks into the stuff that we have going on here. We'll catch you guys next week with the end of wrapping up of September with probably one of the one of the craziest trailers that I've ever seen in the payout to that. Nicholas Cage's Prisoners of the Ghost Land. We'll catch you guys next time. 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. Yeah.